folks. And welcome to Colony Christian Church. Um, let's pray. Father God, we're thankful that we could gather together here today to lift up your name, to praise you, to uh, take communion, remembering your sacrifice on the cross, and that we are able to open our Bibles and uh, learn about your word and to remind us that the resurrection came after the cross and because of that we have life everlasting if we have faith in you God that's what we aim to do today to strengthen our faith by your word it's in Jesus name we pray amen today I want to talk about trusting God again in this series we're going through Hebrews chapter 11 And some of the fellas and ladies that put their faith, their trust in the Lord. And today we're going to focus on Abraham and perhaps uh, his wife Sarah if we get time. If not, we'll do her uh, later on. You know, I like history. I, I like history a lot. And that's very convenient for me because my job is to live out and to proclaim the message of the greatest history book ever written. That is our Bible. Now some of you maybe are like me and and you enjoy history. You like to research and and study it. Uh, You like to hear stories. You like history. But maybe some of you think that all the history is boring. Uh, It'll put you to sleep if I talk too much about history. Uh, and, And I understand that. And maybe there are others that the thought of history is painful. Uh, it hurts. You know, not all history is inspiring. Some of it is hard. Some of it is hard to understand. It hurts in both our own history Maybe our past, a broken past, relationships or experiences. Maybe that's what causes us to have a bad outlook on history. Or maybe it's the history of our world. And we don't like history because of the pain in world history. We don't have to think too hard to bring to mind some parts of, of history that we weren't involved in that are painful. For instance, in in our our very own country, the the story of the Native Americans and how they were dealt with kind of hurts to think about that. Or or, or maybe uh, in world history, uh, slavery all over the world, that's a painful part of history. You know, our Bible... The greatest history book that ever was has some painful parts about it. As we read through the Bible, we come across stories like the flood of Noah's day. We discussed that a couple weeks ago. How painful is it when we think about uh, all the folks who didn't trust God and get on the boat with Noah. You know, All but Noah's family uh, were drowned in the flood. And and that is hard to swallow. It's 
it's painful. We come across stories like Abraham and his son Isaac. And the sacrifice that, that uh, God asked Abraham to do with his son, but stopped him at the last minute just to see if he had faith. Boy, I don't understand that story. I don't even like that story. But it's in our our history book. You know, stories that we read in the Bible often don't really make sense until we get to perhaps the most painful story of all. The story of how God's perfect son had to be sacrificed on a cross for us who are not perfect. He wants to hear Jesus on the cross. Talking about my son. When I would read him stories at night, my boy Flint, I would open my Bible and I would say, Son, what story would you like me to read to you tonight? The story of Jesus on the cross. And I say to him, Flint, the, there's all kinds of stories in the Bible. You know, we did that one last night. Let's do the talking donkey or the, the story of the storm where they become shipwrecked or when Paul gets bit by the snake. <clears throat> or maybe when uh, John the Baptist calls the other guys a brood of vipers. Something exciting. But Flint wants to hear the story of Jesus on the cross. And I'm not sure why, but I suspect that in his childlike faith, because that's what Jesus says, that is easy for a child to have faith, but there he must know that this book doesn't stop at the cross with Jesus on it. It doesn't stop there. He must know that Jesus conquered death with the resurrection. That Jesus lives. And because of that, this history book is no longer just history. It talks about the past. It speaks to our present. And it deals with the future. If we trust in the saving message of this book, then our future is secure. And for that, we experience freedom. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about some history today. There was a fella, and this fella's name was Colonel Shong Lang. He was a colonel in the era of the Vietnam War. I have a picture of him here. Here is Colonel Shong Lang. Now, you wouldn't know about this fella because the battles that he fought were not publicized. He was involved in what they now call a secret war. The situation here in the Vietnam War Of course, you know, there is North Vietnam and South Vietnam. 
North Vietnam wanted to take control of South Vietnam and wanted to push communism and spread it. And America was fighting to prevent the communist North Vietnam from taking over South Vietnam. Meanwhile, the North began to push into Laos. Laos is the red country right there. And they began to push in. And this was a huge concern for America and the whole world, really. Because if North Vietnam took Laos, then that would be a gateway to Thailand, to Cambodia, to India, and to rest the rest of the hemisphere. This is a problem. If that happened, the whole hemisphere would become communist. China already takes up a great portion of that land and are communist. What's the solution? Well, as with most most problems during the Vietnam War, there wasn't a clear one. The American troops were tied up <clears throat> fighting in the jungles of Vietnam, preventing the infiltration of the South. And at the Geneva Conference in 1954, it, it was decided that no one would go into Laos with military, um, but the North Vietnamese were already in Laos, uh, using it as a staging area to get supplies. So the American CIA, not a direct part of the military, uh, somehow found out that there was a culture of people living in Laos. This group of people in northern Laos that were living there uh, were neither Vietnamese nor Laotian. They were the Hmong people. They had been pushed out of their land, the Hmong. And here they were in northern Laos. So the CIA sent an officer, Officer Colonel Blair, to train the Hmong people who lived there to provide resistance to North Vietnam. This is where Colonel Shong Lang comes into play. He was one of the Hmong military leaders that fought in this secret war. He fought for the Hmong people. He wanted them to have a place where they could live in freedom. And he fought for the world to protect it from communism. He fought for America, saving many pilots' lives when their planes were shot down. On one of his missions to save an American pilot, he lost 30 of his soldiers. 30 men died saving one downed American pilot. Later in his life, he would tell his wife at that point that at a point when there were many men um, following him uh, and many men had died under his control, only him and maybe another one left were going to be attacked and were almost certain to die. He told his wife later that as at that point when he prayed to God, he called to God to save him. And then it rained. It created a fog. And he was able to escape. 
and to live another day. But perhaps the most heart-wrenching part of this story, at least for us, happens when the Vietnamese infiltrated the jungles around them and the Hmong people were now in great danger. Northern Laos could no longer be held. The Vietnamese pushed savagely against them and the Hmong had to get out of there fast. America began to send uh, two planes in to evacuate the Hmong. There wasn't much time. For about two weeks, two of these planes would land in a place, a small place that they had cleared, the last stronghold there. And they would fill these planes with as many people as they could pack onto them and fly them to the neighboring country of Thailand to a refugee camp where they would be safe. On the last day, the last day that these two planes were to land and load people on and save them, Colonel Shong Lang was ready to go. He had waited through all the planes coming. He had waited till the last point to take his family on so that he could help the others get to safety. Those two planes landed. His name was on the first plane that day. The first plane was reserved for his family and some other officers' families. So he took his family to that plane, and at that moment it was being packed. Everyone was wanting to get on this plane, of course. He grabs hold of his small boy, throws him up in the plane on top of the people, and gets him up there safely. And just at that point, another officer pulls out a gun, tells everybody to back off. His family had not gotten on that plane yet, and they were supposed to be on there. The young boy, uh, when he seen that his family wouldn't be getting on, took a flying leap back out and landed in the hands of the crowd. The family was back together again. That plane took off. One last plane remained the last hope, the last chance to get out of Laos where the Vietnam were pushing into. They were about to be overtaken and destroyed. He takes his family to that last plane. There was chaos everywhere. And he had made up in his mind that he would take his family and put his family on that plane and he would stay back knowing that there was not enough room on the plane for everyone. He would stay back in the jungle. Well, because of all the chaos, he himself, with the rest of his family, most of them anyway, got pushed onto the plane when he didn't even intend on being there. He counted those family there in the, the crowded space. There was no room and he was missing one person in his family. One of his daughters was not there. He looked out in the crowd and couldn't see her anywhere. Now if we go to how she was feeling at that point, in all the chaos, she had been separated from her family, wandering uh, back and forth, maybe calling out to her father, to her family. Can you imagine how she felt at that point? She knew 
that this was the last plane, probably because her father was the colonel and he would have known this is the last plane. This was her only chance to find her way back to the plane. She pushes and pushes and gets closer to the plane, looking for anyone that she can recognize. At last, a hand grabbed her and pulled her up onto the plane just in time for it to take off. Her family was back together again. She was on the plane flying to safety. The family spent almost a year in the refugee camp where the plane landed in Thailand. Each of the families were given two blankets. All they had was clothes on their back and the two blankets that they were given. A family of about eight or ten, well, it didn't go very far. The girl who was pulled into the plane cried every day. She thought she might die any day. But something kept her going. You see, a seed had been planted in her life by by some missionaries when she was a little bit younger. A seed of hope, of salvation, a seed of freedom. Eventually, Colonel Shang Lang was able to get his family out of the refugee camp and into America. I have a picture of him here again with his, with his wife. His wife actually uh, uh, still lives today. As a matter of fact, she's been to our very church. Her daughter, the little girl, who just about got left behind, is also with us today in this very church. Our very own Miss B. Because of a small seed that was planted in her heart by missionaries, she was able to maintain hope. That little boy who jumped from the plane, her brother, He spent time worshiping with us as well. And her other brother preached actually a message to us last year. Now this family has over 80 descendants. Two of B's siblings are missionaries. Uh, At least two of them, the grandchildren, are pastors. Serious about their faith. Now listen guys, I could preach all day about having faith in God. About trusting God. But you know what? You can ask B why her faith is so strong. Ask someone who has experienced horrible conditions, who has heard gunfire and bombs all around them, who is almost separated from everything that they ever knew and is worshiping with us today because of a seed that was planted in their life nearly 50 years ago. Now let's go a little bit further back in history. 19, um, no, not 19, 18, 1897. 1897, a baby boy named Marion Ryan was born. Now you don't need to remember that name. You won't recognize it. 
when this little lad was one year old, his mother died. And the man who was married to his mother, I won't call him his father, he ran off and left the boy. Left him for an orphan. Now the little fella, he had no one to care for him. His grandmother uh, took care of him for a little while, but for some reason she wasn't able to do it for very long. The boy was about three years old at this point and had no one to take care of him. Folks, every once in a while, we get to witness someone stepping up to fix something that someone else is broken. In this case, a man named Anton and his wife Anna stepped up to fix what was broken. Now, I don't have a picture of of this man Anton and Anna. But this past week I found out where they were buried and I went there. I took a picture of their stone. If you can read the small prints, you'll recognize the last name. Now I only know two things about Anton and Anna. Number one, When they were about 55 years old, they took in that little fella who was my great-grandpa. And they called him their own. They changed his name to Joseph Rebel. And the second thing I know about these two folks is that they were Catholic. So my great-grandpa grew up in a God-fearing home. And he had lots of offspring almost as many as there are the stars in the sky. But not quite, because that's reserved for for Abraham. So here is my, my uh, great-grandpa, that little lad. Uh, one of his sons was my, my grandpa George, who came to church here about ten years ago. A few times he came. And he had my dad. And, and then there's my kids and, and, and soon my grandson. About a month and a half. All because a fellow named Anton and Anna knew the good that they ought to do and they did it. James chapter 4 verse 7 tells us if we don't do that good that we know we ought to do, and that is sin. Their stone, maybe you can't read it, but at the top says, Gone, but not forgotten. Now, I don't know what they were thinking. I remember them now. I, I, I don't know what they were thinking when they took in my great-grandpa. Maybe they were thinking, Oh boy, we're, we're pretty old. We'll be near 70 by the time uh, he is you know, graduating high school. Maybe they were thinking, can we afford it? It costs money to raise a little one. All I know is whatever they were thinking, I guess they just decided to put their faith in the Lord 
just did the next right thing. Reminds me a lot of Abraham. So let's go a little further back in history. About the year 2022 B.C., give or take 50 years. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 12, says it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and to go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land, God promised him he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner, living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations. A city designed and built by God. And it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child Though she was barren and too old, she believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. God called Abraham to do several things in his life. Oh, the first one was to leave home. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, God says to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Leaving everything you've ever known is not easy. Maybe some of you have had to do that. I never have. Especially, it's especially hard if the where you live, things are good. Abraham was with his family and relatives and God said, I need you to go. And God doesn't tell Abraham, it, it's actually Abram at this point. God hadn't changed his name yet. He doesn't tell him how great of a place that he's going to. He doesn't open up a real estate brochure and show him all the magnificent lands or the fertile ground or the resources that will be there. He just tells him, go to the land that I will show you. Not that I have talked up or not that I uh, have convinced you that we'll be good. Just go, and I will show you when you get there. Abraham didn't know. Abraham had no idea what he was walking into. He trusted God. Genesis chapter 12, verse 4 says, uh, tells us what Abraham did. He departed as the Lord had instructed. He just up and went. By the way, he was 75 years old at this point. And he went to this land called Canaan. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 9 says that he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. He lived there 
by faith. Not only did he go there by faith, but that is how he lived. And he would have needed faith to live in this place. The area was inhabited by Canaanites. History tells us that these fellows aren't always the easiest people to live with. Which is probably kind of weird for Abraham. Because God said in Genesis chapter 13 verse 14 through 16, Look as far as you can see in in every direction, both north and south and east and west. God tells Abraham, I am giving you this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession and I will give you so many descendants that like the dust of the earth they cannot be counted. So Abraham must have been, okay God, uh, what do we do with all the Canaanites? Especially if I'm going to have so many descendants, where are we going to fit in this land that is already inhabited but you know what he did here's what Abraham did he built an altar to the Lord and just trusted in him he built an altar and worshipped God he just had faith in God he set up the old tent and started the living by faith you know Abraham lived most of his life in a tent most of, it, most of it was in a tent. It, it seems like it'd be awful hard to trust God when he tells you to leave a nice place and to go to a place where you have to live in a tent, right? We might think, how can, uh, how can you be content in a tent for that long? I, I like I sleeping in tents. I, I, I could sleep in a tent most, most of the year, but then it gets cold and... And tents aren't so nice. Even my teepee, I, if, if you've ever sleep, slept in a teepee, you would like tents uh, because if, if you consider that kind of a tent, you set your fire right in the middle of it. Teepees are, are good for staying in. You just, you just don't want to uh, get too close to the fire. Your pillow catches on fire. If your pillow catches on fire, that's a bad deal. So that's the only downfall about a teepee is that can sometimes happen and your sleeping bag catches on fire and you know, uh, everything catches on fire and, it, and, and you've got to get the kids out because it's a bad deal. Uh, but sleeping in a tent too often would be a bummer. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 10 Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city built by God. A place built by God with eternal foundations. Now, we know this as the kingdom of heaven. We know this, the place that Abraham is confidently looking forward to as a place where there is no war, no refugee camps, no children left behind, and I mean left behind as in not able to get on the airplane, or as in uh, not having a parent to take care of them if they're orphaned when they're young. We know this place that Abraham is confidently looking forward to as a place where there will be no COVID, no corrupt politics, no sorrow, no anger, and no death. Nothing bad will be in this place that Abraham 
can confidently look forward to. That is what he is having faith for. Now, as for me, I'll live the rest of my life in a tent if God tells me to because we can confidently look forward to this heaven by putting our faith in Jesus. Abraham was content knowing this. The Apostle Paul felt the same way as Abraham in his contentment. Philippians chapter 4 verses 11 through 12 uh, says, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty, with plenty or little. Now, I'm inquisitive. I want to know why or how. So I ask you, Paul, who wrote this, uh, what is the secret and can you explain the secret to me in perfectly understandable words? And I read on, and if I were to ask Paul, of course he has the answer in his text, but if I were to ask him that in person, he would point me, he would refer me to the man with all the answers. That is Jesus. Jesus was teaching at one time about money and about food and about about drink and about clothing and and uh, he was teaching about all the things that people typically worry about here on this earth. And, and, and Jesus says this. And so basically here is the secret that Paul is talking about. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God. Above all else. And he will give you what you need. Not not what you want. Sometimes he gives you what you want. But he will give you everything that you need. Sometimes we get so caught up in worrying about things here and now that we miss the blessing that will come after we are gone. It's hard to imagine that, I know. A blessing to come after we are gone? How does that be a blessing for us? But you know, for Abraham, and for others uh, in the Old Testament that we read about, they were happy to live contently, just knowing that sometime in the future, their descendants will be blessed. Well, sometimes we talk about the kind of world that our grandchildren will grow up to live in, and usually that's in a negative way. Oh, I worry about the world that my grandchildren will have to face in the future. But what about our great, 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 great grandchildren? Do we ever think about that? Now I know, Jesus is going to come back before that, right? We hope. But how are we to look forward into the future and trust God? Abraham was content to trust that 
God would bless his descendants. The neat thing is, is that by faith, we are Abraham's descendants. Therefore, we are Abraham's blessing. Those of us who live today in the freedom of Christ are what Abraham was content with. He was content knowing that he would be blessed, that we would be blessed because of his faith. What would it look like for us to have faith like that? To trust God like that. To to say that, that my great, great times five grandchildren will be blessed because God told Abraham so. Because through the line of Abraham came Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Now I started this sermon by telling you a story about a little girl who is here today, although she's not such a little girl anymore, telling about her faith in God that is traced back through fear, through struggle, and through the actions of her father to save her physical life and to back through the care of her mother and back to the missionaries that shared the gospel to her when she was a child in which she was able to share with her mother and the rest of her family and and her and her sister were responsible for bringing faith to those 80 descendants now. And we could continue to trace that all the way back to Abraham. Remember now, though the story of the Bible is not only history, it leads into the future. We can trace faith in God into the future. And it will impact the decisions that you make tomorrow. Your faith will. And your faith will impact where you go when you leave this world. It will give you freedom. I told you about my great-great-grandparents, Anton and Anna Rebel, and how I descended for them and can perhaps trace my faith back to them and, and then I can trace it forward to my sons and daughters and my grandkids too soon. My great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, also gave me a family name. A name, as you know, usually comes through a father. My kids have my family name. You've probably heard uh, Abraham called Father Abraham. He's the father of our faith. Now what is Abraham's family name? I looked through the scripture and I read it. I couldn't find Abraham's last name. But if we put it all together, the account of Abraham and the story as it goes, his family name is obvious. You know, you know when the days of old uh, a name described something about you. The 
when you were named, it meant something. We can even see this in our Native American culture. Uh, you would be giving a name that meant something. If, if I lived 200 years ago in my teepee, uh, they would call me um, Burning Pillow. It would probably be a good name because it would save face. I would have an excuse why I did not get scalped by another Indian. A name means something. So Abraham, our father of faith's family name, must have been by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed God. By faith, Abraham lived by God. By faith, Abraham. Trace that name forward 2,000 years and it turns into follower of Jesus. Nowadays, translated Christian. That name doesn't mean perfect. Abraham wasn't perfect. As a matter of fact, at several points in his life, he failed as a father. And he failed as a husband. He messed up, but he didn't give up. He chose to step up. Ultimately, ultimately, our faith all goes back to Abraham And ultimately, it goes forward to living in the kingdom of God because we put our faith in Jesus. We trust in Him. Therefore, our name is by faith. You can put your your name behind that. By faith, Larry. By faith, Pam. And so on. I will leave you with this one last question. Are you living up to your faith name? Are you living by faith? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the story of Abraham. I thank you so much for his descendants leading up to Jesus Christ through his blood sacrifice and his resurrection that we could be forgiven of the sin that holds us to this worldly place. Lord, I thank you for putting folks all around us that have hardcore faith, hardcore trust in you, God. I thank you for their example that you would help each one of us to live up to the name we've inherited from Abraham by faith by faith we walk God by faith we live by faith we trust 